right. Great to see everybody here this morning. As you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10, and our key verse for today is verse 16, but we're going to actually read a good chunk of this chapter because it's a great chapter. Excuse me. So we are in between Easter and Pentecost. Pentecost is on June 4th. And if you remember your New Testament history, the church spent most of its time in between Easter when Jesus was raised from the dead and Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given from heaven on the church. They spent most of their time seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting and gathering together. And so uh, it seemed good to me to focus on missions during the time in between Easter and Pentecost, because that was the reason why they were praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, Jesus said, your mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. And he said, don't go anywhere until you get the Holy Spirit. And so as the church sought the Lord for the Holy Spirit, they were really seeking um, the Spirit to come to start them on their mission, to start them on their, their project to fill the world full of Christians. And so you can see why um, it seemed good to me to have some people come and talk about missions. And last week we had some friends come up and speak who are trying to keep a low digital profile. And so I'm not going to mention their names on this microphone because it's going to end up on the internet. Um, And then next week we're going to have Gene is invited to come up and just share his heart for making connections with neighbors. And Gene has been... Gene and his family have been very missional in uh, Otterburn as they've moved there and made connect, lots of connections with people there. And so I just want him to come and share his heart for connecting with neighbors in the name of Jesus. But to this week, I want to bring a message to give us a good reason to have an unshakable confidence in the mission of God spreading throughout the world, gathering together all of the sheep of the Lord. This is is my purpose, that we would have a reason from Scripture to be unshakable in the mission of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us to a place in Scripture where Jesus refused to be shaken during a very tense time of his ministry And we're going to see why he was not shaken, and we're going to absorb Jesus' way of looking at the world. Jesus' worldview is not a good suggestion, or one of the best among many. It is the way to look at the world, especially if you call him Lord. So this is my desire. And from there, I want to talk about being, how we can walk with Jesus in that confidence. Amen? The Gospel of John, chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 16 first, which is our key verse, and then I'm going to read the context around it. You don't really understand what any one verse means unless you understand how it fits in with the verses around it, and then the paragraphs around it, and then the chapters around it. Once you've read the entire Bible and understand everything, then you understand each verse. That was a bit of a joke. But it is a great way to avoid error is to make sure that you understand the context of whatever verse you are preaching about. So here is my key verse. Jesus speaking, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's my key verse. And here's the context. Jesus preaching about being the good shepherd. We'll start in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Father, I thank you for these words. I thank you for John and his mission to write for us a unique gospel among the four gospels. I thank you, Lord, for the life of Jesus and that you chose John to be one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit composed this gospel through John so that we have an absolutely trustworthy um, message from God to believe about who Jesus is and by extension who we are and what we're doing and what we're called to do and to be. Father, I pray that you'd help me be a a great servant, a good servant this morning, and to serve your word well. Give me the Holy Spirit afresh, and I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us hear the voice of Jesus speaking through this message and through the scriptures for your eternal glory. And amen. I want to say to you this morning that Jesus must bring his sheep. Jesus must bring his sheep. He must gather them. He must collect them. He must give them eternal life so they shall not perish. Jesus must do this. And this morning what I want to do is I want to dive into this scripture by answering two questions. Who are the sheep and why must Jesus bring them as a way of building up our confidence in God's mission in the world. Okay, so that's what I'm telling you I'm going to do. It's a big passage. I don't want to get lost. I I do get lost easily. Thank you, Um, navigational computers and cars. 
So I've, I've, I have a method to keep myself organized and on track, and so that you know what I'm doing, I'm going to try to answer two questions this morning. Who are the sheep, and why must Jesus bring them in order to know Jesus, understand his mission, and to build up our confidence in the mission of God in the world? Amen? If you have any questions, you can submit them to Tony, but I'm on a roll here already. This conversation, it's not really a conversation, this speech from Jesus about him being the good shepherd and that he must bring his sheep occurs in two contexts. There's the immediate context and then there's the larger context of the book. And I want to look at both of them so that we can know Jesus. Okay, I'm not trying to appear smart. I'm not trying to impress you. I just want to know Jesus. And so I have to do this. Okay. The immediate context of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd and I must bring my sheep is the fact that he healed a a guy who was born blind. And when that guy went and talked to the Pharisees who were leading Israel at that time, they rejected his testimony about Jesus and started attacking him. You may remember that story. Okay. And it's in John chapter 9, and there's this really weird scenario where this guy who literally had never seen anything in his life was talking to these Pharisees and saying, I don't really know what the big issue is. All I know is that I couldn't see, and then I can see, and it was Jesus who did it. And they're saying, give glory to God, but don't say anything about Jesus because we know he's a bad dude. And, and, and the blind guy says, I can't. I just, I was blind and now I'm not, and it was Jesus. And they start attacking him and saying, we know that you're a sinner and you're a scumbag and get out of here. Okay. Isn't that a weird scenario? Church leaders attacking somebody who used to be blind because they have an issue with Jesus. Okay, they're not church leaders, sorry. They're, they're Israel, Israel's spiritual leaders at that time. But there wasn't technically a church at that time. So that's a weird scenario. And so Jesus is contrasting himself with these leaders. And he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't attack the sheep when they're not blind anymore. I die for the sheep in order to rescue them. That's the immediate context. He's trying to compare. He's comparing himself to the leaders of the day. I don't attack the sheep. I save the sheep. But there's a bigger context of this gospel, and it's really important to John, and the context is a question. The question is, if Jesus is the Messiah, how come so many Jewish people rejected him? And you can see that that's going on here. If Jesus is the Messiah, how come the Pharisees hate him so much? If Jesus is the the Messiah, how come when he goes around talking about being the good shepherd, people go, this guy sounds like he's got a demon. Why is that? What's going on here? How come Jesus was so rejected? And this is an important question for John in his entire gospel. Okay, And I know this from the introduction of the gospel. John is a very thoughtful author, and he wrote an introduction for his gospel that like Mark doesn't really have. And in his introduction, he introduces us, Oh, in an introduction? Yes, in an introduction. He introduces us to some of the main things he wants to deal with. He introduces us to the fact that he wants to present Jesus as the eternal word of God who is with God and who is God. 
John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, and if you're tracking with what John is saying, you already have little trails of gray matter coming out of your ears. What? There's a Word who is with God? Okay, I'm okay so far, and He is God. Blech. So, but John's like, I want to talk about this in my gospel, and I'm going to flesh out what I mean by that in the rest of this book. He also wants to talk about how everything was made through this word. So verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing that was made was made. Great. So that's one of John's burdens. Another one of his burdens is the fact that this word became flesh. This word became a real human being and came into this world, into history. He walked on this planet. He breathed air that we breathe. It is possible, if you think about it, it is possible that your next inhalation could take into your body oxygen or carbon dioxide that Jesus had breathed 2,000 years ago that has just been moving around the planet for the last 2,000 years because unless NASA launches it into outer space, everything that was here then was here is here now that's how the world works that all that air is just it's just been moving around and moving around and moving around so it's possible because the word became flesh that he took a breath and he breathed it out it is finished and those molecules have found their way to steinbeck manitoba and are about to go in your nose okay that's part of john's burden to communicate that the word became flesh And he's going to flesh it out for the rest of the book. But there's, in between introducing the word as the word who is God and introducing the word as the one who became flesh and dwelt amongst us, he says this, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. What? Verse 11, He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. What? You're telling me that the creator of the world, who you're going to say is also the Messiah, who is also the king of the world, you're going to say that he came to the world and was not received? That's a problem. Isn't that a problem? Okay, when people don't receive something, it's usually because there's a problem. And I'll illustrate this with the made-up situation of you sock soup. Okay, imagine you're really sick. You're like, but it's not a flu, so you're still hungry. But you've got like the nose and plugged and the eyeballs burning and the ears burning. And every time you move, it feels like your arm is breaking off. Pastor Rob shows up at your house looking all chuffed and proud of himself. And you manage to make it to the door without dying. And you open it up and you're like, and uh, I'm like, hey, I heard you were sick. And I made you this big vat of soup. It's not even a bowl. It's a vat. It's like 47 liters. And you're like, and you start to get excited. This is this great. You know, I, didn't, I don't want to feed myself. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and, and this is great and thanks for taking care of me. I'm like, and I made you use sock soup. And you start getting a little curious. What are you, you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Use sock soup. Oh, it's this great family recipe. What you do is you go for a long run or you preach two services <laughs> and uh, you go for a long run and you take the socks and you throw them in a pot with water, and you just boil it until the socks disappear. And then you add some vegetables and a little bit of salt, and Bob's your uncle. Here you go. Somebody's grossed out already. Why? It's all natural. It's organic. Uh, 
whatever. <laughs> so if, if you're just honest, you, you just say, like, I'm sorry, Rob, I can't eat that. If you're Canadian polite, you'd say, thank you, and you take it inside, close the door, and then walk it into the bathroom and flush it down the toilet. But you don't receive it because there's something wrong with the soup and there's something wrong with the person who gave you the soup, right? Right? It's like, you got p rablums. Just Google all recipes next time and take whatever comes up first. When people don't receive things, it's usually because there's an, there's, there's an understanding there's something wrong either with the gift or the giver. Amen? So if Jesus comes to this world, and not only does most of the Jewish people not receive him, but they end up crucifying him, that's something that needs to get dealt with. And John lets us know right off the bat, I'm going to deal with this. Okay? I am going to reveal how the Word, who was God and is God, understood what was going on, even in that non-reception, and why he still accomplished his mission and didn't feel like a failure when it was all done. Amen? So that's the context. Jesus, I'm the good shepherd in the face of these bad leaders, and Jesus wanting to deal with the fact that much of Jerusalem was rejecting him and his mission. What are you going to do about that? And so that's the context, and in the midst of that context, Jesus says to these people who aren't understanding him and aren't believing in him, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have sheep that I must bring. Who are the sheep, and why must he bring them? And how does this impact our attitudes towards world mission? Who are the sheep, why must he bring them, and how does this impact our attitude towards world world mission? Who are the sheep? Three answers from Scripture. Number one, the sheep are the Jews and the Gentiles together. I have sheep who are not of this fold. So here's Jesus in Israel, spends most of his time in Israel, is ministering to Israelites and Jews. They are the fold that he's in, which he is gathering sheep from. And he's looking forward to post-resurrection when the gospel is going to go out throughout the entire world and collect the non-Jews who are collectively called the ethnos in the New Testament or the nations or the Gentiles. And I used to go around and say, any Jewish people here? And nobody would put up their hands. And then somebody did. And so that's great. It's great to have people with Jewish blood running through their veins. But now I don't do that anymore because I don't want to expose anybody. So, um, But I can assure you that most of us here are sheep from the other fold. We're, we're Gentiles. We're, the message came to us a lot later than it came to the people in John's gospel here. So that's answer number one. Answer number two is that the sheep are people who listen to Jesus' voice and follow him. This is verse 27. Excuse me, I'll read it for you. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That is... In context here, the definition of one of Jesus' sheep that he has to bring. They are the ones who hear his voice, and he knows them, and they follow him. I'm told that Middle Eastern shepherding, at least back then, I don't know if it's still like this today, 
the shepherds and the sheep would just have this relationship where the sheep would know their shepherd's voice. So if you had all these sheep together in one clump, there was some freak sheep traffic accident and they're a big pile up and they're just all on top of each other. Um, instead of rooting through looking for birthmarks, the shepherds wouldn't have to like go and find them. They would just start talking or singing or whatever they did in order to call the sheep to follow them. And the sheep would recognize this is my shepherd and those other people singing over there are not my shepherd. And so I'm going to follow this guy. This is my shepherd. And so the sheep would recognize their shepherd's voice. And Jesus uses that picture as a way of describing um, the spiritual reality that's going on here. When I talk, my sheep hear my voice and they think, Master, these are, these are the words of God. They grip me. I have to follow. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not just saying people who hear my voice and, you know, everybody who's not Jesus' sheep, they see Jesus' mouth moving, but they just hear, it's not, they're not like Peanuts characters or something like that. They literally did hear what he was saying, but they, they responded, he has a demon, or he's a nutcase, or I don't get what you're saying, or why won't you actually reveal yourself, even though he has been doing it for months and years. They just don't get it, and they don't, they don't feel compelled to follow him. They think, stupid, dumb, boring, not interesting. Can't believe I'm stuck in another sermon. Blah, 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 blah. When can I get out of here? I just want to move out and start my own life. They don't hear, this, this is God. I have to follow. But if you hear the words of Jesus from Scripture, from a faithful pre- preacher, and you're like, this is true. Jesus is saying, the ultimate reason that happens is because you're my sheep. The ultimate reason is because you're my sheep. That's why. When you hear me, you go, I need to follow Jesus. So the sheep are the Jews and the Gentiles together. And the sheep are those who listen to Jesus' voice and follow, and he knows them. But I want to go even a little, another step deeper. Okay, we're going deep into the mind of God here, and we shouldn't be surprised that we're going deep into the mind of God, or another way of saying it is that we're hearing truths from heaven here, because where does John's gospel start? It starts in heaven. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's where he starts his gospel, up in heaven. And the movement of the entire gospel is heaven coming down. The Word comes down and becomes flesh. And so much of what Jesus says is truth from heaven coming down, blowing people's brains. As it should. Truth from heaven should make your head hurt. Amen? Because I can sit down with Tony and Greg, and this doesn't happen too often. You guys are gracious. But if they start, they're both worship leaders, they're both musicians, and if they start talking shop, I'm gone. I'm lost. I can just pull up my phone and start doing Tetris because I can't keep up with them. And if I try to, I'm just going to... My head's going to start hurting. Same thing happens whenever the sound guys start talking technicalities or whenever I used to get together with my my family and my brother and my dad would start talking about economics. It would just be like, ouch. I had this one conversation with my brother. I won't say which one, but not the one you met. And um, (laughs) he was working on his PhD in computer engineering for Stanford, which is an Ivy League school. So kind of like the best of the best of the best. And I was like, hey, tell me what you're working on. I wanted to make conversation. And he looked at me like, you would have to go to school for three years before I could begin to tell you what I'm working on. 
And I was kind of like, come on, man. He's like, no, nah, it's not worth it. And we talked about something else. <laughs> He's just a human being. And here's Jesus, the word of God from heaven, communicating truths from the Trinity to us. All I'm saying is it should make our heads hurt sometimes. And all we can do is kind of say, I believe this is true and I need to worship now, but I don't totally understand it. So I want to go there. I want to go to that level of explanation. Who are the sheep? And uh, I want to go to verse 29 of what we read here. And the reason I connect these two stories, the good shepherd part and this next part as well, is because Jesus is still talking about his sheep. He's still explaining who are the sheep and what does it mean that I'm their shepherd. And he says to them, my father who has given them, the sheep, to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them from the Father's hand. And there is just something so powerful and true in that little phrase, who has given them to me, about the sheep. And this is when grammar kicks in. Okay, grammar is wonderful. Anybody here love grammar? Be honest, I'm asking, yes, young people who love grammar. I should buy you a Timbit someday. Grammar is a wonderful thing. It's how language works. And I dove into the Greek here, and that word for has given is is the Greek perfect. And in English, we say has given, and in Greek, they they say didokin. And um, what it means is something that happened in the past that still counts now in the present or still has a present impact. So Jesus, when he's talking about his sheep, is saying, my father has given them to me. In the past, he gave these sheep to me, and right now they are my sheep, given from the Father to me. Which has two humongous implications for us. Number one is that we are a gift from the Father to the Son. Already. If you are a sheep, if you hear the words of Jesus and you think, Master, I want to follow you, God the Father has given you to the Son as a gift. And that's who you are. That's who you are. You are the Father's gift to the Son. And let me tell you, the Father loves to give gifts to His Son, and the Father only gives the best gifts to His Son. And that's who you are. And we live in the age of identities, where your identity is a big thing, right? Has anybody ever noticed that? Uh, You want to get fired quickly? Make someone feel bad about their identity? It's happening in the news all the time. Somebody said something recently and like three people had to resign. Identity is a big thing for us. Amen? And there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are going to receive their identity by the word of God. And then there's everybody else. And so this morning I'm saying, put this one in your identity. If you're a sheep... You hear the words of Jesus say, you're my master. I'm going to follow you. God has given you to the Son as a gift. You are the Father's gift to the Son. That's who you are. Not what you do. It's who you are. And the brain-blowing thing is, is that the Father gave these sheep to the Son before Jesus said these words 2,000 years ago. And... The sheep that are Jesus' sheep that he has to go and collect, which is us, were already given to the Son before the Son went to the cross. Anybody lost yet? 
So Jesus is letting us into heaven. He's saying, before I came here, the Father and I had a transaction. The Father said to me, I have sheep. They belong to me. I give them to you. And Jesus said, I will receive them. Is your brain hurt yet? Who are the sheep? Three things, and I could probably go on farther, but the, sheep's, the sheep are the Jews and the Gentiles together. The sheep are those who listen to the voice of Jesus and follow him. They think, this is my shepherd. And the sheep are God's gift to the Son. The second question is, why must Jesus bring these sheep also? Why must he gather them? Three answers as well. I'm a Trinitarian thinker. I like threes. Threes, nines, twelves. Sixes are okay, except kind of got thrown under the bus in Revelation there. (laughs) There you go. Why must Jesus bring them? Answer number one, because Jesus is making one flock out of his sheep. That's right there in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, referring to the Gentiles. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Do you hear that again? I'm confident this is going to happen. You're rejecting me. That is what it is. But my sheep from the other fold, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is Jesus's goal. This is the project he's working on. To be the one shepherd who has gathered together the one flock That's why he must bring them. He must bring them to himself so that we would all be one flock together under the one shepherd. Let's go a little bit deeper. Jesus must also bring these sheep who are all the Jews and the Gentiles who will hear the voice of Jesus or hear the message of Jesus and follow him because they are God's gift to the Son. He must bring them because he's been given a charge. And the Son always does what the father wants him to do the son always completes the will of the father this is what makes jesus jesus he loves the will of god he loves to do what pleases the father even to the point of gethsemane where he absolutely did not want to do what the Father wanted him to do in drinking the cup and going to the cross, but he absolutely wanted to do what the Father wanted him to do, and so he did it, because the Son does what the Father wants. Let me prove this from Scripture, even in our context. The Son does what the Father wants. Verse 17, this is just the next verse after what we just read about there being one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me. So he's going to explain why the father loves me, loves him. Because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So if you want to understand how this scripture works, you actually have to read it backwards. In history, what happened was, Jesus received a charge from the Father, go and lay down your life and pick it up again for the sake of the sheep. And Jesus said, I want to do this. Yes, yes, Dad, yes. 
And so the father said, as you receive this charge, I give you authority to lay your life down, which is kind of crazy. Jesus didn't, if he rejected this, he wouldn't even have had authority to die. He's saying, even my laying my life down, I do under the authority of God. I've got authority to lay down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep, and I have authority to take my life back up, to raise myself, to come back again so I can be the shepherd of the sheep forever. And because of my willingness to do this, the Father loves me. Because I love to do what the Father loves. Love, 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 love. The father loves the son, gives him the sheep, tells him how to go get them. You're just going to have to go through a cross. The son loves the father, says, I want to do what pleases you. And I'll even do going to the cross because it will make you happy. And we have this forever relationship of love between the son and the father, which gets enfleshed. And we get to see how it works in the life of Jesus in the world. And then we find out through the prayer of Jesus that the whole point not the whole point, one of the great points of this whole sending in love and being sent in love is so that Jesus could take sinner-type people just like you and me and through the cross shove us right in the middle of the Father-Son love fest. And that's what we call salvation. Salvation is going from being rejected and exiled by God because of our sin and having our sin forgiven and being taken by God and shoved right in between the Father's eternal love for the Son and the Son's eternal love for the Father. So now the Son says, I love you just like I love my dad for his glory. And the Father says, I love you just like I love my son for his glory. And we get the love and God gets the glory And it's supposed to last forever. Amen? Amen? Okay, so what what I'm trying to say here is that Jesus went to the cross because he received a commission from God to do it. And the Son always does what the Father wants him to do. And Jesus has received a commission for the sake of the sheep. And so I just want to go a few chapters earlier. You know, when somebody writes a book, they expect you to remember what they wrote three chapters earlier. You're not supposed to forget it. Every chapter, you're supposed to carry along what you've learned in the earlier chapters to what you're reading now. Plus, when somebody's writing a masterpiece, like what John did, they expect you to read the book twice. So you're supposed to read all the way through the book, learn everything that's in there, and then start over again, remembering what happened at the end of the book for the beginning of the book, and it gets richer and richer and richer and richer, reading it backwards and forwards. That's what we're supposed to do. That one's for free. That's just a little nugget for you. But Jesus says this. This is in the bread of life controversy. Again, the same scenario where people are actually rejecting Jesus and not believing in him. And so he's teaching them about his calling, even in the midst of their rejecting. He says, I have said that you have seen me, excuse me, this is chapter 6, verse 36, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. What has the Father given to the Son? The sheep. And what is the Father's will for the Son to do with the sheep? To lose none of them. And will Jesus succeed? Yes. 
He's going to succeed. He cannot be stopped. And we look around and we go, but life's a mess and everything's a mess and things are a mess and the messes are a mess and it is a mess. Well, let's go back to the cross where we just read that Jesus said, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take up my life and nobody takes my life from me. Do you remember I said that? Jesus said to them, nobody takes my life from me. But when we read about the actual incident, did it look like nobody had the right to take Jesus' life from him? No! It looked like everybody was in charge but Jesus. Amen? Who's in charge? Well, Pilate's in charge. No, the Pharisees are in charge. No, the high priest is in charge. No, the soldier's in charge. Look at them beating him. Look at them crucifying him. And here's Jesus standing before Pilate going, Pilate says to Jesus, don't you realize I have authority to either set you free or crucify you? And Jesus is all like, change. He's like, well, if God didn't give you the authority, you can do anything. Throw it down. And I'm not worried because even when you crucify me, I have authority that's on my authority. I've been given the authority to die. So you can only do this because I've been given the authority to die. And I also have the authority to take it back up. So kablam. Who's in charge here? From the physical looks, everything's a mess. From heaven's perspective, everything's on time. Amen? And so we're supposed to take the cross because the cross was God's most blatant, visible, transparent, clear demonstration of who God really is in His grace, in His love, in His holiness, in His wrath, in His mercy, in His goodness, and how He rules over the world. We're supposed to look at the cross and say, it looked like a mess. And here Jesus is saying, I'm totally in control. And we're supposed to go into our missions and our lives and our world and say, it's totally a mess. And Jesus is in control. Because he's been told by the Father not to lose one of the sheep, can't happen. The, fa- the Son always does what the Father wants. And he was received a charge not to lose any of them. Amen? Amen. So that's point number two. And point number three, which goes along with this, is Jesus must bring the sheep because the Son has boasted in the Father's greatness that none will be lost. Okay, so this is verse 29 of chapter 10. He says this. We read it already. Sorry, let me go back to 27. I'll let you know when the important part comes. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. This is the the command. I was commanded to not lose them. I was commanded to give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one shall snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, do you hear what Jesus did there? This is the biggest, my dad's bigger than your dad, throwdown ever. He's saying, you know the sheep? They can't be snatched, because my dad is bigger than your dad. That's what he's, he did. My father is greater than all. As in everything that's not the father. The father is greater than you. If you find something, you point to something, you smell something, hear something, feel something, the father is greater than it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's bigger than whatever. And that's Jesus' ultimate confidence in his mission, even in the fact, in spite of the fact that crowds of people are rejecting him. In his face, he's standing there in front of crowds of people who are saying, you have a demon, you are crazy, you are nuts, get out of here, we'll crucify you. In the face of those crowds, he's going, my dad is bigger than you, 
and none of the sheep can be lost. The problem is you're not my sheep. And that's Jesus' confidence. Why he's not panicking. Why he's not... And he does weep over them, okay? He's not hard-hearted. He does weep over the tragedy of it. But he's not discouraged. And my father's bigger than this. So, if something can or does come along which interferes with this mission, I must bring these sheep, then it is greater than the father. And that's the thing that should actually be getting worshipped on a Sunday morning. Because if something's bigger than the Father, we should be appeasing that thing. We should be in relationship with that thing. We should be looking for protection from that thing. Amen? I I enjoy a good kung fu movie every once in a while. Wing Tung. And uh, every kung fu movie is the same. It's always down to whose kung fu is the best, and there's one fight at the end where... It's the throwdown for who's the best kung fu guy, right? And, and if you go through the Ip Man series, it's like, first it's, oh, ten people, that's a lot. And then he has to fight an entire fish market. And uh, it's always who's the best. And then it's always Ip Man. And what Jesus is saying here is that the entire universe is a kung fu movie. And his father's Wing Chun is the best. And no one can defeat him. So he's going to come out on top. Except... It man always takes a few shots to the face, and the father never does. He's untouchable, unstoppable. The only time anybody got hurt in the Trinity, it was because the father said, this is your mission, to go and die. And there's so many times in Scripture where it's like, people tried to arrest Jesus, but it wasn't his time. People gathered stones together to stone him, but it wasn't his time. And every, there were multiple times the crowds want to kill Jesus, but the father's like, eh, not yet. Because he's greater than all. And so when Jesus says, I must bring them, it's going to happen because his father is greater than all and no one can snatch the sheep out of his hand. And if you're a sheep, it would be good sometimes just to visualize yourself in the palm of the giantest giant ever. And just hear Jesus say, my father is greater than all. Romans 8, greater than distress or famine or nakedness or persecution or sword. Nothing can snatch the sheep out of his hand. Amen? So it's, it's about the Father's glory. Okay. So how does this compel us in world mission? Um, we're called to go. And nothing can stop Jesus from gathering his sheep. He must bring them. We're called to go. Jesus said, like the Father sent me, I send you. And Jesus will gather his sheep. He'll gather his flock. He will do this. He will win. And it's going to look like a mess the entire time. Amen? Dave, does it ever look like a mess? Does it ever look like a mess? Does it ever not look like a mess? No, it never not looks like a mess because we're Christians. We're part of the body of Christ. It's going to look like Passion Week from here until we see him face to face. There's going to be controversy, conflict, construction. I'm running out of C words. And then there's going to be the cross. And then God's going to win. In his own way, on his own terms, according to his own schedule, by his own plans and purposes. 
But we are meant to go on missions thinking, I can't lose. If my mission is to be God's sheepdog, helping him gather together his sheep, I can't lose. It can go messy. It can fall apart. I can get hurt. Things can go bad. I can't lose because Jesus will win. And he has won and he's winning. Just to cover all of time. And so from there, we're supposed to be like Jesus and the Father. Um, one of the things I do when I'm reading scripture in order to keep me from misinterpreting verses is I go, okay, the person who wrote this, how did they live? Because if I read Paul and all of a sudden I think Paul's teaching me to not act like a self-sacrificial loving apostle type person, like he's, if I think Paul's telling me to, I don't know, have like eight wives or get all rich or whatever, then I'm probably missing the point because people tend to write their life in these in these instances, right? So what, did Je- what was Jesus doing? Jesus the most gripped by, by the power of God to instill confidence when everything's falling apart. What was his life like? Did he go, well, God's going to save him, so I'm just going to stay here in heaven. I believe in sovereignty. I'm just going to stay in heaven. Really sweet, gold-studded hot tub over here. Me and Gabriel is going to watch the game. Is that what happened? No. Right? He went. He's like, I really believe this stuff. That's why I will become a human being. <laughs> you know? That's why I'll go. I'll, I'll get, sure, born to a virgin, ruin her life. Why not? Get attacked by a Herod. Okay. Fight the devil in the desert. No eating for 40 days. Sure. Go to the cross, hated by everybody. Most painful, tortures, tortures, death known to man. Okay. Because I really believe this stuff. And so we're supposed to go, okay, I, I'm beginning to really believe this stuff, so I need to be ready to go. And I need to be ready to send. In the Gospel of John, we have, in heaven, we have these two, two people, and the Holy Spirit comes to you a little bit later, but we have the Father and the Son, we have the sender and the sent. And if we're going to be like God, we need to be like senders and send, sent. That's, that's our job. If you're not sent, you're sending. If you're not sending, you're sent. And you can do both in the same day sometime. But you're either helping people go or you're going. Amen? That's, that's part of... So I said in the earlier service, I didn't mean to. It's like, we, we need to be heaven on earth. What does heaven on earth look like? It doesn't look like everybody getting the pie they want. It means joyfully doing the will of the Father and sending people out. Because that's what heaven was like. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take that backwards. It's, what is heaven like? It's the place where your will is totally done, and would you send people to us? Heaven is where, where God's will is done, and where he sends out people from. So Calvary Chapel is called to be heaven on earth. Did you know that? That's why the Holy Spirit's here. That's what temples are all about. Temples are about heaven on earth. And if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to be like heaven on earth, which means you're supposed to be the place where God's will is joyfully done, Whatever that means, scripture, read it, obey it, work on it together, get with a mentor, and joyfully sending people out to extend the kingdom. Whether that means money, time, going, selling things, encouragements, praying for people, all that stuff, whatever God puts particularly on our path. But if you believe that you're a sheep and that Jesus can't lose, then the next step is, how can I send and how can I go? Amen? Father, thank you so much for Jesus. I just, uh, 
I give all these words to you, Father, to accomplish your mission. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just take us, um, even as I, I think you're planting so many seeds, a love for children, Lord, a love for orphans, Lord, a love for Africa and sending in missions and um, fundraising for sending people. Lord, you're doing so many things here and you want to do more and more and more. Lord, would you help us to unite this together with this confidence that in the Lord we will have troubles and our Lord can't lose. And in surprising ways, you will show us how you are supremely doing amazingly, amazing things. Now, Father, would you help us to be great senders and great goers for the sake of the sheep that Jesus must bring. Amen.